thankful for those songs because they prepare the way this morning for the message that we are going to consider. Take your Bibles and turn to John 14. John 14. Again, we are receiving comfort for troubled hearts. This is part three in this message. John chapter 14. You know, beloved, I believe you would agree that it's wonderful to have guarantees on certain things in life. For example, there are companies who will provide a full refund on their product if you are not satisfied with it. Yeah, especially at this time of year, you know, when companies are advertising uh, the whole dietary product and say, hey, just buy our product. Just test it out. If you're not satisfied within it, within a month, just send us back. We'll, we'll give you a full refund. You think, well, yeah, what, what will hurt? It's a guarantee. Or there are warranties on cars for mechanical malfunctions where the dealers will replace parts free of charge up to a certain time. I mean, I've got a warranty on my own car, bumper to bumper. You know, for five, six years, 60,000 miles, or 10 years on the powertrain. I mean, I don't even have a car that long. So I've got parts that will be replaced free of charge when there's a malfunction. I like those warranties, I'll tell you. And so having these guarantees gives you a sense of security. And the same is true and more so on spiritual matters, right? Absolutely. Many of you have heard of my struggle with assurance of salvation. And during those early years of my faith, my heart was indeed troubled. But as I saw what the Word of God said on salvation and God's grace in changing my life, it strengthened my soul and lifted me to higher ground spiritually. And that was exactly the goal of Jesus with his disciples here in chapter 14. After he communicated what he did with them in chapter 13. I want you to notice what Jesus went on to say here in verses 15 to 20. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while, while the world will not no longer see me. But you will see me, because I live You will live also. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. May God add His blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. As you can see in this text, the Master was simply continuing His discourse and providing the men with more comforting truths. Particularly, He was sharing promises, guarantees, As he did in verses 12 to 14. If you remember last week, he promised power to do greater things. He also promised that they would see answers to their prayers. 
And so I can't help but believe that this was very encouraging to them. And so, beloved, once again, I want you to put yourselves in the place of the disciples this morning. It's possible your heart is troubled. It's very possible. But this is not God's will, is it? Look what it says in the first verse of chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. That's what Jesus says. He comes back to it again at the end of the chapter. Verse 27. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He says it twice. Beginning and ending this chapter. They're like bookends. And everything in between was meant to be comforting to their heart and to help them through this. And so what in this text, verses 15 to 20, should be of help to you and I as it was meant for those men? I want you to see that this morning. And so we're going to consider three glorious promises, three glorious assurances of the faith. And I trust that these reminders will minister to your hearts and challenge you in your walk with the Lord. Three glorious assurances of the faith. Guarantees. We like guarantees in life and so much more on spiritual matters. That's what we have here to lift our souls as it was meant to do for those disciples in that day and time. And the first assurance is there in verse 15. Look what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It seems pretty clear here, right? Be assured of what? Love for Christ. Be assured of love for Christ. Now let me say this up front. The understanding of that conditional clause here at the beginning of the verse really is that the disciples do love Jesus because they are believers. It's sort of like, if you love me and I trust and expect that you do. (laughs) That's how he meant it. The question then is, how do they know that they love Jesus? And he very quickly answered that question in the latter part of the verse where it says this. You will do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me and I trust you do, you will keep my word. You will keep my precepts. Now in the context here, Jesus had already given them commands. Which he expected them to to keep. Look back with me to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verses 14 to 16. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. What was Jesus saying there? Yes, serve Me by serving others. That's the premise. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. He wanted them to get that truth. How about verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13? 
A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Very simple. He'd given that command. Then in chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. (laughs) How about verse 11? Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Trust me. And so you have these commands that have already been given. And of course, there are many more commands than this, as you well know, in Scripture. And so it was the responsibility of the disciples and by extension, those who claim to be his children and to love him, to study his word, to meditate upon his word, to meditate upon the scriptures and to know how to please him. This is one of the emphasis of first John. We know what John is all about. Is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? But first John, let's go there, chapter two. First John, chapter two, one of my favorite texts. Very simple, straightforward, that's the way John is. If you love God, you will keep His Word. This is how we know. This is how we are assured that we belong to Jesus because of love in our hearts. Beginning with verse 3 of chapter 2. By this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments, the one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Look at chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. He starts out the, the epistle with this and he ends with it. John likes to repeat things. As you can see in chapters 13 through 17, and he does here in his first epistle as well. Two and three, chapter five. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, they're not burdensome because we have God's love in our hearts. And so they're our desire, our pleasure, our delight is to please Him in all things. It's to boy Him. And by the way, we see Jesus going on and speaking more about this further in verses 21 to 24 here of chapter 14, which we are going to get more into next week. We just won't do it now. We'll save it for then. But for now, think about what Jesus quickly stated here before moving on to other matters. I mean, on one hand, the disciples had just heard that one of them would betray Jesus. And that Peter was going to deny him. And so it's likely that they all needed 
assurance of where they stood with their master. And he told them very quickly through this one verse alone. If you love me and I expect you do, you will keep my word. That's how you know where you stand with Jesus. And then on the other hand, it coincides with the previous two verses on prayer, does it not? Sure it does. Those who love God will see answers to their prayers. First John 3 and verse 22. I read this last week. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. That's what it is to pray in Christ's name according to His will, according to His purposes. If you're delighting in God, your desire is what? To please Him. That's what you pray about. And that's why you see answers to your prayers. In fact, Jesus would come back to this very matter of love with Peter just days later, where at? You remember? The Sea of Galilee when he restored Peter. Turn with me to chapter 21 of John. I just love this account. Because I will tell you, Jesus and the rest of the disciples thought it was over with <laughs> for them. You see, Peter not only denied the Lord, the disciples fled him too. I can only imagine what was going through their minds. Maybe we're done. And so we see here in John 21, Jesus specifically restoring Peter. And it says there, beginning with verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I do believe he's referring back to verse 11 and the 153 fish. You see, he went back to the fishing business. Do you love me more than doing this? <laughs> He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, what? Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Why did Jesus ask him three times if you love me? Because he had denied the Lord three times. But there's something else here. If you do a thorough study of this passage, you'll see that when Peter used the word love, he used phileo. Jesus asked him, Agape love. He was afraid to use that term. Because it meant commitment. It meant sacrifice. And he had just failed the Lord. (laughs) Finally, he got it there in the third time that Jesus asked him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying but what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what? Follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said, Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? (laughs) 
Jesus said to him, if I want you to remain or him to remain until I come, what is that to you? What again did he say? Follow me. So he tells him, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, follow me, follow me. You say that you love me. Is this what you are about? (laughs) And so, yes, Jesus restored Peter on this very matter that he was talking to them about right here in chapter 14. Beloved, it could be this morning that you have questions in where you stand with Jesus. Maybe some troubling things have occurred in your life that are causing you to doubt where you are at. Well, don't quit because of failure. You see, that's what Satan wants you to do. Oh, you you failed, so you're no good anymore. (laughs) No. Do you love Jesus? I trust as a shepherd of this flock that you do. That your passion is to please him. Well, then repent and keep obeying his word. That's what Jesus told the disciples, told Peter. And essentially, he's saying the same thing to you and I. It's also possible this morning that you could be on the other side. That you've been going your own way. Doing your own thing. Not caring or being concerned about what Jesus thinks. I do want you to know that there's hope for you as well this morning. I mean, what is the gospel of John all about? Giving hope, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 6 and verse 37. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Aren't those wonderful verses of hope? Yes. So will you turn from your sin and trust Jesus? If so, you will see him change your heart and life by what? Loving and obeying him. That is the fruit that proceeds from a heart that truly knows Jesus. So be assured as these disciples of your love for Christ, where you stand concerning Christ, Jesus gave them the two-one punch. It was very simple. It comes to us as well. Now to the next assurance here. And we see it in verses 16 and 17. What did Jesus go on to say? I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So what's the assurance? What's obvious here? Be assured of the indwelling spirit through Christ. Be assured of the indwelling spirit through Christ. Specifically, Jesus' promise to his disciples was that the Father would send another helper. 
another helper, another comforter when he left them. This helper, parakletos is the Greek word, would be exactly like Jesus. That's what the word another means. Another of the same kind. And come alongside them to minister to them in a variety of ways, including empowering them for service as indicated last week from verse 12. We talked about that. And the helper there is identified in verse 17 as whom? That is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit who reveals truth. The third person of the Trinity. In other words, they would have God continuing to abide with them. And more significantly, as the latter part of verse 17 states, be what? In them. Be in them. And using them to bring God's inspired word, his truth to mankind. Look what he goes on to say here further in John 14 verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Look at 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, we have these words. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Yeah. And so what a privilege the disciples were to have in the near future that the unbelieving world would not experience. Because they did not know the Holy Spirit through Jesus as those men. That's what verse 17 says. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him. Yeah. Actually, this grand assurance was not just for the disciples, but for all believers beginning at Pentecost after the ascension of Jesus. That's what is indicated there in verse 12, as I mentioned last week, when Jesus said, greater works than these he will do, because what? I go to the Father. When he goes to the Father, the Spirit comes, and now they can do powerful things. Look with me back at chapter 7 of John. John chapter 7. Verses 38 and 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then we come to Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 where we see the account there on the day of Pentecost where the Spirit came and indwelt those disciples, those believers. Look with me over at Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Romans 8 and verse 9. As we get into the epistles where it speaks more 
to this very thing. Romans 8 and verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Beloved, I don't think we appreciate this blessing as we should. I truly don't. A.J. Gordon shared this story of the greatest unused power. An American with an English gentleman was viewing the Niagara Whirlpool Rapids when he said to his friend, Come and I'll show you the greatest unused power in the world. And taking him to the foot of Niagara Falls, there he said, Is the greatest unused power in the world. Ah, no, my brother, not so, was the reply. The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And I can't help but agree with that. You see, we take it for granted that we receive the Spirit at salvation. I got saved. I got the Spirit. Okay. And we somehow forget about that. But for the disciples... This comforting assurance was huge in light of the fact that Jesus told them, I'm going away. But I'm not leaving you without someone. Another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit of God who will indwell you. Yes, instead, he would be in them forever. Even the apostle Paul marveled at this mystery. Did you know that? Go with me over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. He says it just a little bit differently. Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 to 27. Colossians 1, beginning with verse 25. Of this church... I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been made manifest to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you walk through the New Testament and see the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit to believers since Pentecost, it is amazing and should still your hearts. Absolutely. No matter what you face, you have God in you to carry you through it all. We've already mentioned that He empowers you, right? Yes. Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. 
The Spirit also guides and leads us. Galatians 5 and verse 18, we read that this morning. He intercedes for us in prayer. Romans 8, 26 and 27. He illumines our minds with truth and gives us discernment. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 14. And I could keep going on. This is the blessing of the Spirit who indwells you. And yet I don't truly believe that we appreciate it as we should. Or take advantage of it as we should. (laughs) We take it for granted. So be assured of the indwelling Spirit and thus thank Him. And depend upon Him. He promised this to His disciples. It was meant to comfort their heart. It's meant to comfort ours as well. And so be assured of love for Christ. Be assured of the indwelling Spirit through Christ. And this leads us into one other glorious assurance here that we see in verses 18 to 20 as he continues on. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So do you see this glorious assurance in these verses? It's this, be assured of union with Christ. Be assured of union with Christ. Really, these verses here are an extension of verses 16 and 17. He's further affirming the Spirit's coming to indwell the disciples and through it expressing the intimate relationship that Christ would have with them. That union That's observed there in verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. (laughs) So yes, this is an extension of what we just looked at in verses 16 and 17. You see, what Jesus pointed out here in a veiled way was that shortly he would die. And the unbelieving world would no longer see him. But his believing disciples... Would, in a unique way. How? Through the resurrection. That's what he spoke about there in verse 19. I will come to you yet in a little while, and the world no longer sees me. That's in the present tense. But you see me. That again is present tense. It's not future tense. Why? Because I live you will live also. He's speaking there about the resurrection. Oh yes, they would see him physically for a few days. But more significantly, and I believe this is what Jesus was emphasizing here, is that they would continue to see him with eyes of faith because of their spiritual life in him through the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus went on in verse 20 to declare in that day or the day of Pentecost. The disciples would truly know the unity. They would truly understand that unity between the father and the son. Just as Jesus was explaining to Philip earlier in verses 8 to 11. 
when they received the Spirit of God, then they would understand. Right now, they didn't grasp it. But they would also come to know of the intimate unity they had with Jesus because that is when Jesus would come to them in the person of the Spirit would be at the day of Pentecost. At this present, they could not grasp it. But one day they would, and it wouldn't be too long. So, beloved, aren't you thankful that you live on the other side of Pentecost and get it? (laughs) I think we get it, but once again, I don't think we truly appreciate it. The Apostle Paul spoke to this in his epistles a number of times, this union. Go with me over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Romans 6, 3 to 5. Or do you not know... That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of of his resurrection. And who is the one who baptizes us into the body of Christ? It's the Spirit of God. First Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Galatians 2.20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Christ has not left his children as orphans. Amen? Boy, how wonderful that is. How often do you think about this wonderful union with Christ through the Spirit? I think if we were honest with ourselves, we don't think about it that often. Jesus is going to go on and illustrate or picture this union in the early part of chapter 15. You know the account there. Verse 5 sums it up, doesn't it? I am in the vine and you are in the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing That's the impact which this glorious assurance should have upon your hearts. Bearing much fruit. He will go on and say in verse 8 of chapter 15. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, that's the blessing of being united to Christ through the spirit of God. That's what should be manifested in our lives and growing. And so I pray this is true of you. David Egner shared this little story in the Daily Bread, which I believe captures what Jesus was doing for his disciples and their troubled hearts. 
in this portion of Scripture. He says, a few years ago, a 42-foot sailboat got caught in stormy seas off the east coast of the United States. Waves rose higher and higher until a giant wave flipped the boat upside down. But the heavy keel righted the craft, yet there was damage very, very significant to the vessel. A Coast Guard cutter quickly responded to the sailboat's SOS. But when the ship located the desperate boat, no one could be rescued because of the violent seas. And so the cutter crew drew as close as possible to the smaller craft, taking the brunt of the waves. The ship remained alongside the imperil boat and led her safely into port. Beloved, our lives as Christians are sometimes like that, right? Troubled at sea? We were singing about it this morning, weren't we? A shelter in the time of storm? <laughs> yes. But our rock, Jesus Christ, is there. And these glorious assurances of the faith, which Jesus shared with his disciples, are for us as well in those times that are very, very troubling. Times of doubt. And even meant to encourage and comfort your hearts all the time, not just sometimes. And so what are those truths? Once again, be assured of your love for Christ. Be assured of the indwelling spirit through Christ. And be assured of union with Christ. And so I pray that these truths that you heard this morning will bring you safely into the port of heaven with joy in your heart. As I thought about these truths this past week, I had to admit, you know, Lord, I don't always think about these things as I should. I even take these things for granted. But because I'm saved... Christ has poured out His love in my heart. I can obey. He's given me His Spirit. And I have all these wonderful, rich blessings. And I'm united to Christ. And I can bear forth fruit. I mean, wow! I don't care how troubling your situation is. These truths should help you rise above your circumstances. And I trust that they will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. And what a joy it is to do... Think about these things. We do forget them. That's why they're reminders. And as Peter reminded the believers of his day of certain truths that the saints needed to hear, we need to hear them over and over and over again because we tend to forget. And when we forget, we falter, we fail. And so I pray, oh God, that we would Embrace these truths. As we go out of this building today, help us to be meditating upon them, rejoicing in what we have, and being faithful to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.